Montesquieu stated the following as influential text, The Spirit of the Laws. The tyranny of a prince in an oligarchy is not so dangerous to the public welfare as the apathy of a citizen in a democracy. Apathy can be defined as a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And in this podcast, we are attempting to use each of our voices to prevent the dangerous force of apathy from overtaking our society. Welcome to episode one, The Other Pandemic of Apathetic Democracy, Preventing It with Young Voices. We are so excited to get this started. First, we should probably tell you how we all met. The four of us attended a summer program at the University of Notre Dame in 2019 called Leadership Seminars and became instant friends. The program allowed us to attend class with actual professors in one of three interesting subjects, the state of race in 21st century America, global issues and the environment, and feel like a college student for 10 days. Our attending this program is a testament to our individual interests in the issues that plague our society and how best to approach them with the goal of finding solutions. You also may be wondering how we came up with our title. Well, it came from Montesquieu, a famous and influential French, French political philosopher who theorized the usefulness of different branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial, and the separation of their powers that is paramount to our democracy. After the tragic deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, among others, and the recent events at large that have rocked our society, we were inspired to pursue this idea. Each of us cares immensely about the maintenance of our society and those who reside within it. Thus, this podcast serves as our way of conducting thoughtful and respectful discussion while grappling with complex societal issues. Today's episode, The Other Pandemic, is in reference to the events that have, that have impacted our society during these past few weeks. These trying times have exacerbated societal issues, and during our conversation, we will address some of the events that have triggered this exacerbation. We'll begin with some introductions and our goals with this podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Emmanuel Schiffrell, and I'm going to be a first year next year uh, at college. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and there's not much to rep from there, but mainly I am from uh, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, which is from uh, the Horn of Africa, if you ever heard of that. And a lot of my um, ide ideologies, a lot of my beliefs, a lot of my viewpoints were rooted from my upbringing, were rooted from my ancestry. And like anybody else, a lot of my beliefs that I hold and that I try to portray and convey come from my parents, and a lot of that um, is you know, overall true in myself. Um, and personally, I like to believe that I can be a friend to anyone. And with this, I want to be a friend that is able to have those tough conversations. I want to be a friend that is able to make a statement with his other friends and understand that this is in, we are all in the long run of this incredible thing we call life. And as cliche as that might sound, what I try to aim with that, what I try, what I try to attempt to answer with that is that we need to become more comfortable with asking these questions, these tough questions, in order to understand the tough society we live through. And so I'll hand it off to uh, Brian. All right, so uh, my, name's, my name's Brian Joseph, uh, and I'm, in, I'm going to be a, a college student as well, soon to be college student. Uh, and I will be studying something, I'm not exactly sure what it is at the moment, but something in the humanities or social sciences. Uh, and adding on to what Emmanuel was saying earlier, uh, my goal with this podcast is twofold. Uh, first, 
is to have those tough discussions that Emmanuel was talking about that. Uh, that is the manual was talking about. It's to me imperative that we learn to disagree with each other fruitfully uh, and attempt to understand the, the avenues through which we attempt to speak about the various issues in society, regardless of the person espousing those ideas. So that brings me to my second goal, which is to disassociate the idea from the person. Uh, ad hominem attacks and other personal attacks in discussion have become paramount and rampant in our society as time has progressed, especially over the past 10 years. And that is, I think, a grave injustice and a problem that must be remedied. Uh, in order to perhaps uh, decline the erosion of civil discourse in our society, we must focus on emphasizing what the virtuous nature of that, of that exact concept. Uh, engaging in thoughtful discussion where disagreement is, 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 a, is a part, um, but where looking past the person espousing the ideas, attempting to understand the ideas and using said ideas to formulate your own beliefs, I think is beautiful and it's a, it's a wonderful thing that our society, if adapted uh, further, could actually help us impart meaningful change, such as the movements that have been going on over these past few weeks. Everyone, I'm Logan Balfans. I'm, I'm from uh, the greater New Orleans area in Louisiana. Just a brief introduction about myself. I'm from a low-income background, and I plan to be a first-generation college student next year. Um, with coronavirus going on and everything, we're not really sure how that's all going to look yet. But um, you know, we're definitely trying to keep a, a positive mindset. So my goals with this podcast are, um, you know, also in relation to what Emmanuel and, and Brian had to say for sure, but just something in addition to that is more personal development as well. Um, learning to, to start to get comfortable talking online. You know, I feel like with, um, with COVID-19 definitely brought an introduction to how tech could be more uh, widely implemented in our day-to-day -day lives. And so I feel like getting used to something like this could be something that's, that would be very valuable um, to, you know, all of, all of our uh, experience bases. Uh, another thing just as well before, I begin, uh, or before we begin our conversation, I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us when I say this, um, but we're all very open to, to changing our opinions whenever, um, you know, new information arises, new things come around, and just all of our opinions that we do express now, I, I believe that, you know, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, whatever you believe, um, there's going to be something in this podcast that you disagree with. Um, but that's the whole point is that we're here to, to talk about um, those disagreements, you know, see where we fall and that all of our all of our opinions that we are formulating right now are a direct result of our education that we've had up to this point in our life and all of our experiences that we've had. Um, so, you know, just I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here to, to talk about what I think and, and to listen, because I feel like whenever I come to make my own personal conclusions about something, definitely listening to, to other people's opinions, um, thinking about, you know, what are what are their experiences? Where did they come from? Um, and thinking about how that can contribute to, to my opinion is something I, I value very much. And especially um, with the people that, you know, Brian Emanuel um, Mitch, who's who's going to introduce himself in just a second, but people who I who I respect and value a lot, though we may not agree on everything. You know, I really value these people so much. They're they're like family to me. Um, so, my goal with this podcast, in short, is to to grow my my um, 
viewpoint based, my knowledge base, so that I can formulate my own opinion. Um, you know, with with as much information as I possibly can and, and many different viewpoints, but as well as to contribute this information to other people in our community, you know, listen to this, be uncomfortable. If there's something you disagree with, you know, talk to us about it, engage with us. We want to hear what you have to say as well. Um, you know, not only because we just want you to engage, it's because we, we want to hear what you have to say. That, that's what I'm saying. I value other people um, whenever I come to, to making my own conclusions. So we definitely want to see y'all y'all engaged. So I'll hand it off to Mitch. Yeah, so hi, uh, I'm Mitch, Mitchell Robson. I'm from Marblehead, Massachusetts. And I think a perspective I bring to this podcast is my, my Jewish faith has greatly influenced kind of my um, personal kind of ideological beliefs, uh, mainly from number one, the doctrine of the, the belief of tikkun olam, of fixing the world, um, that is, crucial to the to you know to the Jewish faith um, and second of all just Judaism has taught me to think very critically about um, issues about the things that I read the things that I witness um, and to yeah just listen to other perspectives I think my purpose Logan Emmanuel and Brian have all put it very elo eloquently which is that we have to really normalize hearing things that we disagree with and the way i put it is if you as a listener whether the maga hat hasn't left your head since trump was elected or you think karl marx is too moderate or anything in between there's going to be something you disagree with but don't just immediately dismiss it or say oh their opinions inferior to mine in fact there's a very strategic reason we're calling this podcast, we've been referring to it at least privately as a discussion and not a debate. We are, debates are fine, I love debates, but we are not here necessarily to just say, all right, that's cool, but you know, let me say what I'm gonna say. We're not just, we're here to listen, but we're not just here just to listen. We're here to listen, but not just for the sake of argumentation. It's a discussion because we actually believe, I believe, and I know you guys believe, that all four of us each have opinions that have actual merit that aren't just things right when I finish talking, one of you guys are going to jump in and say, actually, I think you're wrong. But instead, we're here to actually say, wait a minute. What if Brian's right? What if Logan's right? What if Emmanuel's right? What if Mitch is right? And so that's what I, that's what my goal. And I think our collective goal is as a podcast. So with that, I think we're going to go into our first uh, kind of discussion question. Uh, which is, um, why have the events of the past few weeks made many reach their boiling point? Hasn't this been an issue for quite some time? I feel like the best way uh, to at least explore this, this question is the fact that how, um, especially in America, and we're not even, not even speaking globally, this issue of, I guess, understanding one another has almost affected everyone, whether it's in different ways, you know, whether you're African-American or whether you're any, not a person of color, understanding why these events have been happening and understanding how these events affect you and even your daily life is so critical to understand um, how, you know, even though this issue has been here for over decades, it's still prevalent today. Um, so I think, you know, just to bring it into conversation, I feel like that's the way. Yeah, I yeah. feel like even though 
Uh, many of the issues um, about the sentiments that are expressed today may not be as explicit as they have been in the past. Um, it's important, I think, to recognize that, you know, we can't just ignore the past. We have to acknowledge that um, where we are today in our contemporary society is a direct result um, of our past and, you know, the actions of uh, our ancestors in, in this country. So I feel like, yeah, it's, it's definitely been, it's definitely been a problem for a while. Um, and we definitely need to acknowledge the, the history of it. Many people say that, you know, oh, that happened in the past. Uh, this is over. We're post whatever. But uh, I think we all, I think we all understand um, that it, it's, a, it's a lot more complex um, than, than just looking at, you know, what's happening right now and, and why it's happening. It's, um, definitely important to, to look into the history of it. Yeah, I, I agree completely with what Logan said. Uh, and I guess to, to add on further, uh, I think another reason as to why people are so upset uh, as to why this is all going on at the moment is because of the context of the time period. It's the year 2020. Uh, for many people, it's been just too long for, for this injustice to keep occurring, for this to keep happening over time. Uh, in 1965, um, the Voting Rights Act was passed by the um, legislature. Uh, it, with the recommendation of Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh, and at that time, that was considered a landmark uh, occurrence, of course. And people viewed that after that decision, and even in 2008, after the election of Obama, that we would be in a post-racial society, quote unquote. Uh, and that racism was, was something to be left in the past. Uh, and we have seen from the past few weeks that that is not at all the case. Uh, and for, for many, this, this is really a difficult thing to grapple with, and it, is, it has caused uh, emotions to run hot, which is understandable. Uh, and I think all of us have been uh, doing a lot of thinking and reflecting and attempting to understand the perspectives of various people uh, in, during these, these difficult times in, in attempting to really determine what it is that people really feel. Uh, and the emotions are, 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 are substantive, as I mentioned earlier. And Brian, I think your point about society and is very kind of appropriate like it's easy to say right that like and and by the way it's incredible the fact that obama the fact that you know when you know we think of the oppression of african americans through throughout history and all black people throughout like throughout american history you know it is pretty incredible to say to see the black man went from chains to literally the highest the highest position in american politics but that's not, and, and that's incredible, but that is not to say just because that happened, which is an, a landmark achievement, that, you know, we live in a post-racial society. That's not to say that at all. Um, so I really like that point. I'm really a believer in, A, the idea of the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. So, you know, there have been, we've seen these stories of so many names of people being brutalized and, you know, Part of it's just, you know, hey, enough is enough. You know, George Floyd's killing was, was just tragic and that's one too many. The other thing I think that a lot of us have to think about is also just the nature of his senseless murder. So it is really, really tragic to see someone, to see someone shot, like that's horrible. But in my opinion, there's something especially tragic and just like makes me angry about watching eight minutes and 46 seconds of just the life being like sucked out of a man essentially. And for me, there's something 
especially senseless about that, that I think it kind of inspires us all to just like anger and want to, but channeling that anger and, and make kind of some sort of societal change. And I think just seeing a man being suffocated, asphyxiated for almost nine minutes is just <clears throat> profoundly different about that. That's just so just mm-hmm. tragic. Yeah, especially with the idea of, um, you know, recording being one of the top pieces of evidence right now. Think about all the violence that's happened without a camera, right? We're lucky enough to have all of these images, but at the same time, imagine, you know, Black children on social media having to see their own, you know, their own kin literally being dehumanized on camera right and it's not even just happening right now and like how you said you know for me it's it's been almost a tea kettle that's been simmering you know and now it's finally whistling because i still remember you know being 10 years old hearing about Trayvon martin but not really understanding it because i was 10 years old right and now with uh, with the voice of my own i realized that this has been this has been a virus of its own Right, and technology has almost been a catalyst in showing it, showing truth, but it's also almost been an, not not an evil, but almost um, like a like a poison that just shows us like the evils within our society. And so I feel like that's one of the biggest things of like us being able to see how much it's really boiled and how we've been seeing so much of this, but now we're taking the time to say, hmm, what is wrong with America? Yeah. I think to answer the question originally proposed of, um, you know, why, you know, why are are these specific events that have happened within the past couple of weeks or months, um, the ones that have sparked, you know, so much activity to happen, I think it's owed a lot to the power of technology. And the fact that, you know, something that we may have been shielded from in our communities can now just easily be shared you know with something as as cheap as a couple hundred dollar phone you can hold it up click one button uh click it again to end the video and then just another one to to post it all over um all over the internet i think that's definitely something um that you know you read about this type of stuff in in your history textbooks and you're like what this is horrible like i can't i can't believe this this happened I, i know it did but it's you know, it's, it's not something that if you, if you're not in a community in which that happens or around, um, around something like that, when it happens and you're not directly exposed to it, it's, it, you know, you're basically shielded from it. So you may not feel like this is a problem that, you know, is directly affecting or directly impacting you. But I feel like because of technology, um, and because of the ability for, um, you know, videos such as, George Floyd's murder to spread, um, you know, so easily, so quickly. I think that's definitely what has gotten a lot of us to realize that, you know, hey, this isn't just something that we're reading about in books. You know, we're we're not in a post-racial society. We need we need to do something about this. Yeah. If there are anything that I disagreed with what Emmanuel said, it's that technology is a poison. Because I'm more thinking with Logan, right? Is it that technology is a poison or is it that technology is merely just doing a better job than we were doing? Yeah, I agree. I think technology is just the medium 
through which mm -hmm. this information is spread. Um, and I think because, you know, you can see something through a camera, it's a lot more emotion evoking, you know, than, than something like, um, like a book or even just, you know, something like, like a news, um, a newsreel, you know, a lot of, you know, the news is kind of, um, known for, at least in, in New Orleans, we hear about a different death every night. Um, and it's sad to say, but you know, many people, they, it just become the normal. It's like, Oh, two more people were killed on bourbon street last night. You know, it, it, it's sad that it just kind of becomes the norm. Um, but I think on social media, especially where people expect, um, this certain sense of normality, like, Oh, I'm going to see my friends, you know, being happy, having a good time, you know, since social media has been um, kind of notorious for showing all of the great things that are happening in everybody's life. I think particularly being able to show something like this uh, on a platform where people expect, you know, something different than the news or something different than a history textbook just hits people even <clears throat> harder. And again, was something that that really sparked uh, a lot of the a lot of the action that that's that we've seen yeah. being taken. And but, you know. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, like with the idea of that, like I wanna, you know, almost ask like a follow up question, but also like a second question to that, right? And the idea that with the idea of this boiling point, right, which is very thought provoking in its in its own in in and of itself, what's a more effective feeling during these trying times? Right? Are we gonna be angry all the time? Or are we gonna are we gonna proceed with caution? Are we gonna try to keep calm? Or are we gonna, you know, show our rage, which also, you know, plays into the idea of protest? But yeah, what do you guys yeah, think I think that? that leads direct. I think that leads greatly into our next question, which is talking about um, Officer Chauvin. Is the is his charge of second degree murder enough? Um, you know, was it a wise decision to upgrade the charge from third degree to second degree? And you know, is it possible or is it likely that uh, Officer Chauvin could be convicted of first degree murder um, as well? So I guess to directly address this question, uh, I know that I've done a bit of reading into, into some Minnesota criminal law <clears throat> and uh, third degree murder in Minnesota is, is just seen as killing a person regardless of intent or premeditation. If the person is murdered uh, at the hands of a different individual, um, regardless of, as I mentioned, intent or premeditation, those are wholly different, which I'll touch on later, um, that person can be charged with and perhaps convicted of said murder in a court of law. Uh, in Officer Chauvin's case, I think that the intent, what's called in legal terms mens rea, to kill George Floyd was clearly present. So therefore, I think the upgrade from third degree murder to second degree murder was completely justified. Um, so if you just watch the video, or if you even understand, try to fathom the concept of kneeling for nine minutes almost on somebody's neck, while that person is saying, I cannot breathe repeatedly, that seems intentional to me. Any rational human being, perhaps, who uh, is, is properly uh, exercising their, their authority as an officer of the law, uh, as a law enforcement officer, whose job it is to safely apprehend those whom he is apprehending, if that is understood, and if that is fathomed, thought about, then it would be wholly unreasonable for said officer to kneel on this person's neck, which by the way is not generally considered to be police protocol, for this extended period of time while this person being apprehended is saying the words, I can't breathe. Generally, generally speaking, 
If somebody is saying those words and you're doing an action, you're, whatever the action may be, you stop. So I think it was clearly Officer Chauvin's intent to kill George Floyd. So I think second degree murder is justified. The argument can be made that third degree murder is a much more airtight case. And if the goal is to convict, excuse me, convict Officer Chauvin, third degree murder is a safer charge. But in terms of actually per, uh, proceeding with, with proper justice, in my opinion, second degree murder is the best possible charge. Now, uh, with the difference between intent and premeditation that I touched on earlier, premeditation is thinking about killing a person prior to actually engaging in the act to kill the person. Intent could be taken, taking place, as I mentioned, during the actual action of killing. Uh, with regards to, George, uh, to um, Officer Chauvin's premeditation in killing George Floyd, there's an argument there as well, because I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but apparently the two had a relationship prior to their encounter. They were both security guards, uh, I believe at a, at a nightclub in Minneapolis. And uh, according to their boss, uh, Officer Chauvin had a tendency towards violent behavior. He used to mace women, mace people of color for apparently no reason. Uh, he, he engaged in violent behavior for, for almost no justifiable reason out of his own volition in a wanting manner. Thus, uh, the argument could be made that their, their very difficult relationship, it was, it was very abrasive, uh, apparently, the relationship between George Floyd and Officer Chauvin while they were co-workers, uh, perhaps that relationship made Officer Chauvin uh, hold the desire to take this man's life. That is a very theoretical argument and is difficult to prove. But uh, I guess in short, I think the, the uh, decision to upgrade the charge from third to second is justified. The argument could be made to upgrade it to first, but it's not necessarily, I think, the safest argument in court to actually convict Chauvin. Yeah, I think, I think so. I was actually initially worried when they upgraded it from third to second, because I thought like the second was very not airtight. And I was like, this guy's really gonna get off. But I did some more reading, because I'm, pardon me, I'm a, I do mock trial, I really like law. Um, I did a lot of looking into the law. And basically, what's actually very interesting about, so third degree, it would be very airtight. All you have to prove is that what he did was, quote, eminently dangerous, that he caused Floyd's death, with what he did and that he acted with a depraved mind, which means just a disregard for human life. I think those are pretty easy. But what's interesting with second degree and intent is you normally need intent with second degree, but what's awesome actually about what they can do is you theoretically, you don't need second degree or you don't need intent to convict him of second degree murder because there's something called felony murder, which is basically defined as committing an unintended murder while committing a felony. That even though, and I, I fully believe that Chauvin intended to do it, and because I think there is intent and premeditation potentially there, I agree the case could be made for first degree. Um, I think second degree is the most airtight, but basically because he committed a felony, in this case, third degree assault, um, they can do what's called impute malice, even though there was no, without demonstrating intent to kill, because third degree assault is one of the, what's called predicate felonies that has a special disregard for human life. So what they can basically do is, is say, um, if he convicted this felony, or if he, excuse me, if he committed this felony with a disregard for human life, um, then 
there actually doesn't need to be intent. Now, with regard to first degree, then you would need intent, which you actually don't need for second degree because of the imputing malice thing. And you'd also need premeditation. Now, premeditation is easier than most people think. A lot of people think of premeditation as like sitting in, a, in, in your room at night, like writing about like how you're gonna kill someone. <laughs> Premeditation, you can premeditate like 30 seconds before you do something. So even with without that prior relationship, which just adds information to why it could be premeditated, right? Which I think should definitely be brought up by the prosecution. You don't even need that to theoretically say like, hey, there was some premeditation there. Uh, and just as a fact that like he was there for eight minutes and 46 seconds, you could say, you could probably, you know, make a credible case for intent and premeditation. I mean, I think there is intent and premeditation. However, you know, I think in a court of law with beyond reasonable doubt, we'll, that they'll be able to get intent and premeditation, thus get first degree. I sincerely doubt it. Beyond reasonable doubt is an incredibly high evidentiary standard for a good reason. We don't want to convict innocent people. He's obviously not innocent, but we have that there for a reason. So for me, this felony murder thing is awesome because I don't mean committing felony murder. I mean the 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 charge. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't because it allows you to get a second degree conviction without actually having to prove intent. So I think, yeah. I think it's, it's great. It maximizes his sentencing without really risking him getting off. Kind of bringing this all together. I've I've heard a lot of things. Um, you know, we brought in social media, we brought in the this feeling of, 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 you know, hate versus, um, you, you know, hate and violence versus, you know, you being calm and trying to proceed through through the legal system. Um, bringing it all together, we have some more questions about protesting. Um, you know, what specifically should we be protesting for? And, you know, is it essential that you know, there are violent as well as peaceful protests, um, you know, during this entire process, where do we think that violent protests stand in terms of, um, you know, be, being essential to, to making real change happen? But I'm just curious where, uh, where do you all personally stand on um, this whole idea of, you know, violence or trying to stay calm and, and proceed, you know, um, optimistically with this? So personally, uh, I guess to answer first, I do not condone the use of violence in, in, in any form uh, with, when protesting. I think peaceful protesting uh, is, is a wonderful way in which to air grievances, and it's afforded to us in our Constitution, in our First Amendment. We have the constitutional right, the freedom, to uh, petition our government for a redress of grievances through peaceable assembly. Uh, that's one of the clauses of the First Amendment. It's, I think that's imperative, especially in times like this when there are certainly grievances to be aired. I certainly also understand uh, the upsetness, the anger, um, and the urgency that people feel to want to impart change, which is why I sympathize with those who, uh, who, who perhaps would like to use violence as a means to actually impart change. Though, I think it does much more destruction than good. If you see, for example, in Minneapolis, uh, there have been Black-owned businesses destroyed. There have been other businesses and other storefronts, uh, enterprises, organizations, whatever. Uh, buildings in general have been looted, 
um, absolutely destroyed and have been left in ruins with their owners bankrupt or, or out of a job or, or any other terrible thing that has happened. Yeah, uh, and let me kind of in really quick right there, Brian. I, I've heard a lot of people try to say um, that many of these corporations can get their merchandise back as if, um, you know, it's insured or something like that. But I think something that's really important is when we're talking about local businesses, uh, a lot of the insurance companies that local businesses have to deal with, and I mean, this just kind of goes for many insurance companies in general, is that whenever there's a big financial struggle, you know, uh, especially like um, a depression during during this, this pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, insurance companies are very reluctant to, you know, give payouts to, to their clients. Uh, and so it may not be as straightforward or as simple for many of these businesses to get a lot of their goods and a lot of, um, a lot of their, their things that may have been lost, stolen or damaged during this time back as easily as many think it may have been. Now, I'm not sure how this may differ between, you know, corporations you know like very large corporations multinational uh, um like global corporations versus just local businesses but just something that i've personally seen um i work i work repairing cell phones um under a under a national company and i just know that um with insurance companies there's a lot of reluctancy and you know also i, I hear it in the, I hear it in the health industry, I hear it in the electric industry. There's a lot of reluctancy from insurance companies to, to pay out to their customers, especially during, during times like this. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I, I just think that that's something that a lot of people are mentioning whenever they talk about um, you know, trying to justify, justify violence. Um, but I feel like it's just something important that we have to address and keep in mind. Yeah, so I, thank, thank you very much for bringing that up, uh, Logan. Um, and also, I wanted to say, just to finish, I guess what I was uh, finished uh, saying earlier, that uh, I have a quote from Martin Luther King that I find to be very impactful and is much more eloquently said than anything that I could have probably come up with on the same topic. So yeah, it goes, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is, is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie nor establish the truth. So in that sense, uh, I think that peaceable assembly and peaceful protest does this issue the most justice. Uh, while change will be imparted perhaps on a slower basis, uh, and while uh, it may be more difficult for people to actually realize the, ch the change that wants to be imparted, uh, I think that the counterintuitive nature of, of the usage of violence muddies the waters for those that are actually attempting to get change accomplished. Uh, and also, I must also say that um, from a factual perspective, um, the vast majority of people that are assembling for, to, to, to air their grievances are doing so peacefully. Uh, it, is, it is not generally a violent endeavor for those that are attempting to actually air their grievances. I will say, those that are actually using violence um, at times are organizations uh, associated with the alt-right or white supremacist organizations that are looting different Black-owned businesses or, or other various local businesses and blaming said looting and rioting on those that are uh, peaceably assembling. So that, I think, is quite a problem because it, it is showing that uh, a different group of people 
who have a different set of grievances that they'd like to air during this um, during these trying times is attempting to blame the violence that they're using on a different group of people. So that's, I think, a different and, and interesting, um, I guess, argument. Mitch, I'm sorry if I cut you off earlier. Oh, no, if you no. like to say something, go ahead. That's actually a good point that you raise is like never taking something at its face value. I'm my, you know, to almost a, a painful degree, I would consider myself a skepticist. And so immediately saying like something we see is real or the truth it can be very problematic. And so I agree there's definitely there, we've seen there has to be to a degree, a sabotage element with some people just trying to sabotage the movement um, by rioting and looting when they're not for the movement. Now there's still plenty of people who are doing the rioting and looting. Uh, and I wouldn't even say the majority is like the alt-right trying to sabotage it, but it's definitely a factor there. The way the way I see the, the justification of violence in general is like, there's a lot of arguments made that a lot of, a lot of people, especially maybe conservatives, they don't care about, or at least didn't seem to care about the killing of George Floyd, but do care about the rioting and looting. And, you know, I like to preface this by just saying like, first of all, if you, if you don't care about the murder of George Floyd and do care about the rioting and looting, that's problematic because you just care about fundamental injustices when they fit your ideology. Um, or even yep. if you care about them the same, like a murder is worse than the destruction of stuff. However, to say that, saying that, keeping that in mind, we can't just be apologists for rioting and looting because there's an old adage that I think a lot of people seem to be forgetting, two wrongs don't make a right. So saying stuff can be replaced, lives cannot, or this is how we lash out against capitalist oppression, that's the lazy way out. Of course, lives matter more than stuff, right? Of course. But saying that attacking, attacking stuff that uh, has nothing to do with George Floyd's murder, doesn't, it's counterproductive and it doesn't make sense. And not only that, it isn't just stuff, it also is lives. When you look at either just the lives affected, AKA the Minneapolis uh, retired black firefighter who spent his life savings wow. car that was uninsured and that got torn to the ground. D like that, that's not just stuff. His, and then also the people who've literally been killed by riders, David Dorn, Dave, you know, black people, David Dorn, Dave Patrick Underwood, Chris Beatty, et cetera. You know, there, this isn't just stuff and boiling it down to stuff is very simplistic. They're, they're not just martyrs for, you know, a movement. So I think two wrongs really don't make a right. And we have to be, it's back to that question of anger and calmness and needing that balance of, we need to be angry, but we need to channel, we need to direct that anger in the appropriate uh, media of doing so. If I can, uh, if I can provide a little dissent, you know, it is being a discussion. Um, the one thing I want to bring, um, you know, for any listener that's here, maybe believing that right is okay. Um, I also want to pull on um, a Martin Luther King quote, right? Um, because with the idea of urban rights being having the ability to cause change, ha in itself is a paradox. But I remember reading a quote um, from MLK in 1968 when he says that I think that we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Right, and this is not to say, like even here in Arizona, right? In downtown Phoenix, we were having peaceful protests, but in Scottsdale, Arizona and more affluent areas, 
Apple stores were being looted. And there's a huge disconnect between that. But sometimes we have to realize that it takes a riot to bring attention to needed change. But unfortunately, the new action often comes to an old reaction to old pain, right? I had a friend of mine who lives in Minnesota, you know, explaining to me why riots have actually been somewhat beneficial in the fact that Minnesota, Minneapolis city councils are finally listening, right? And maybe, you know, if I can make a connect to the Rodney King, if you guys have heard of that, the Rodney King LA riots mm -hmm. a couple, 23 years ago, a lot of it was driven by blind rage. But the one thing we, we, we need to see underneath this is that there is such a power of free enterprise that we can use to change lives. And we cannot forget that these small businesses that people have put their lives into should not be diminished, right? And we, we all agree on that. But I also feel like the one thing we might need be able to see is um, through a, there's this one, uh, I'm trying to see if I can remember it. It's a Malcolm X quote, right? And he, for me, he, he's also like, just not the opposite of MLK, but also just a, a counterpart, I guess, you know? And the one thing I remember him saying is concerning nonviolence, it is criminal to teach a man not to defend himself when he is the constant victim of brutal attacks. I think that's how the quote goes. Um, but if you guys can find it, please correct me. Um, but I feel like what Malcolm X was trying to teach us was that on a very individual level, violence is insanely terrible. And I, and I, I, I believe that it's horrific in itself. But I also believe that the, not the looting, but more of the riots in itself can spurn change that is radical. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's the best way I wanted to put my thoughts out there. Yeah, I think um, bringing it back to Twitter, you know, and and even the mass media, and you know, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll talk about we'll get into this really more in the next episode. Um, but when we really talk about their position here and you know what they're meant to do. I feel like a lot of their energy as entities is put towards promoting, not necessarily promoting, but, you know, covering um, these horrific incidents because that's what get, that's what gets views, you know, having peaceful, many peaceful protests, you know, like which may have happened in your community, Emmanuel probably didn't get much like media coverage. I know in New Orleans specifically. Um, Philadelphia too. Yeah, the peaceful protests weren't things that were were on the news. You know, it was the it was the horrific stuff of buildings burning and you know windows broken into and shattered in Minneapolis that that were airing. It wasn't you know showing that it wasn't portraying peaceful protesters as you know good people that that wanted to instill change in our society. It was demonizing the the people that you know had the same goal but just went through with trying to get change regarded to their goals in a different type of way and so i think uh that just lends itself to to many people that don't believe that this may be an issue to just have another reason um to condemn like the movements in their entirety, uh, which I agree with Brian, like he was saying earlier, just kind of muddies the entire message and, 
you know, doesn't really get people to, to open their minds and to start thinking about um, other people's perspectives. But again, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, all of us here have agreed that, you know, we're definitely open um, to, to listening and, and hearing each other through. Uh, what do you guys think the best way to help is, right? Like what should we specifically be targeting, you know, as, as areas of change? Uh, how can we help? Can we protest? Can, you know, why, what are the reasons we should be protesting? Where, if we can, should we donate? You know, what do you think, Emmanuel? If you don't have money, if you don't have disposable income, find free petitions. Right, like I feel like, I feel like, even even before you know, blindly signing petitions, which I think Logan like uh, for reminding me of is researching and learning. I feel like the one thing that can guide us safely through is education, and education is such a misrepresented and underrated tool that we all have the ability to achieve. Right, like what we're doing here, education. Right, but I feel like the 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 the, the cheapest way of achieving change is probably education, right? So educating yourself through these petitions. If you can donate, donate. But also with the idea of, yeah, peaceful protests, go to them if you're able to. And if you can't, I saw a link, a YouTube, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was a YouTube link. There was like a YouTube video that um, would just be running. Like mm -hmm. it was just a slideshow of black, you know, black sponsored art, um, but it had hella ads, right? And so those ads would accru accrue, you know, Rent, 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 uh, rent of you revenue, and that, and that, that, that capital would be donated, right? And also knowing where you're donating to, right? So some people might not know exactly who they're donating to. Like one, um, one of my friends started a fundraiser, um, the National uh, Black Child Institute, or like a development. And those, you know, those think tanks, those those organizations are worth looking towards, right? As as possible avenues of even like future involvement. So I think I think the best way is just education. Honestly, I'm just gonna put that education. If can I, I put a title about can it. Can I uh can I share like regarding something you said, Emmanuel, like and this isn't I wouldn't even say this is political. This is more just like an observation I have. But I think it's yeah. kind of a hot take. But again, it's not really like something a Democrat or a Republican would think. It's just what I think. So mm -hmm. regarding petitions, right? My personal view petition that I want you guys to jump in, like, or, or like, let me know what you guys think of this is, and I'm also afterwards, like, I want to get into ways I think can help rather than to say ways I think, you know, can't help because that's counterproductive. But my view with petitions is petitions have kind of a narrow goal or, of when they're good, which is bringing visibility to an issue that doesn't have much. For instance, my friend just to give a brief anecdote, my friend, there was an issue that not many people outside of this community I'm in knew about, but it's an issue she really cared about. She wrote a, you know, wrote up a quick change.org petition, got a bunch of people, including me, to sign it, and guess what it culminated in? It culminated in national news coverage of the issue and a Zoom call with her, other people, and Betsy DeVos, which is like pretty huge. So that's where I think petitions are good. What I don't really think, I think a lot of people think that, you know, signing a petition, you know, going beyond Instagram activism, signing a petition is enough. And what I challenge, the part of the assertion I challenge is not that, you know, signing a petition is bad. What I question is when you have an issue that already clearly has really high visibility, you know, for instance, the murder of George Floyd, 
does having say 14 million versus 15 million signatures really make that much of a difference? And, you know, I don't want to just like demonize activism. I have, you know, I have ways, I have really have three main ways to talk about how I think are the most impactful ways to help. But I'm first curious to hear what you guys think about like this idea of petitions with issues that are already high visibility. Yeah, so uh, to respond to what you said, Mitch, and also to add on to what Emmanuel said, similarly, I have a couple buddies of mine who began a petition to change the name of a local elementary school, a uh, local elementary middle school, uh, that portrayed the name of a man who founded the community that the, uh, uh, um, where the school is located, uh, but that man participated in racial housing practices and um, other discriminatory practices for 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 years uh, while founding the community and made sure that the race that the covenants of the houses in the in the neighborhood were racially charged, preventing um, African Americans or Hispanics or people other than white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from owning houses in that area. That petition has gained a lot of traction since they were on local news this past week, uh, and it's actually they've attended board meetings for that for that um, community, and they've actually begun to impart uh, meaningful change. So that's an interesting thing you brought up. So thank you for sharing uh, in that regard. And I think petitions do work in that sense, to, in attracting attention to issues that perhaps are not widely known. That's a good point. And I think that's important you said that. Uh, also, Emmanuel, I would like to agree with what you said earlier um, regarding education. I think that imparting change, uh, especially for these um, these very, very deep and, and complex issues we're dealing with now, it, it must be done on two fronts. The first is cha the changing of hearts and minds of people. So there, of course, do exist uh, various groups of people who don't necessarily see um, the, the, the issues at hand or who have different perspectives that are, that are uh, apart from those that are being espoused by, by other people. Uh, and in order to actually impart change, hearts and minds need to be changed. But in order to do that, uh, hearts and minds cannot be changed through legislation. legislation is, is, in my opinion, a tool that can be used to change uh, actual policies and the way in which um, people are treated. But in, in order to change hearts and minds, that must be done on an individual basis. And that can only be done through education. And I have a quote from John Locke, one of the uh, Enlightenment philosophers who influenced uh, our founding documents and our constitution. So in this quote, he says, education begins the gentleman, but reading, good company, and reflection must finish him. We are doing the, the latter two things here. We are in good company discussing some very, very important ideas in our society, and we're reflecting aptly on these issues. Uh, we are, before this episode, before all of our episodes, we educate ourselves on the various issues at hand. Uh, and of course, we encourage you viewers out there to educate yourselves and have discussions, uh, surround yourself with good company and reflect, uh, and also discuss with other people that you may know. And that entire premise right there of education, reflection, good company, and discussion does wonders in terms of changing hearts and minds, which is a requisite characteristic of actually imparting meaningful change. I agree. I, I agree with, with everything that you guys have, have brought up this far, uh, or so far. You know, education, definitely one of the biggest things um, that can impart meaningful change on an individual basis whenever there is such a great amount of meaningful change on an individual basis and so many people are exposed to uh you know the the content through social media or, or other means whenever there's more information whenever more people can actually see the issue it actually gets 
a greater amount of people to stand behind a single mission to actually impart that meaningful change through, like Brian was saying, our, our legislative process. Um, talking about what Mitch said with the, with the petitions, I think that even though this has like a great amount of uh, kind of exposure or publicity, kind of many people know that it's a problem. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people still neglect to see it as, you know, one of the biggest problems plaguing our society. Uh, and I think that's, you know, that's just the reason why, you know, we named this episode what it was, is that it, it really is, you know, an, another plague to, to Amer not even just American society, but, you know, global society as a whole. Um, I think that doing anything and everything that, you know, is in your power, even though it may seem nominal, a lot of people have the same ideology about their their vote for the American president. They may see it they may see it as nominal, um, but I think just you know taking a couple minutes out of your day to to sign a couple of petitions, even though it may not seem like it it's it's doing much. You know it may it may do more um, than you think it initially might be doing. Um, so I think while while I agree with you in in your uh, you know kind of your thing about like. Is it really helping? I feel like the the time that it takes to you know be able to participate in something like that, um, compared to what the arguable actual effect of it is, I feel like it's such a a nominal like. It, it doesn't really take much time, so why not? Why not do it? You know. I agree with that. Like even if you know you're not changing the world or solving racism, you're yeah. It's what you said with voting, like the the impact doesn't necessarily of your individual signing your vote doesn't have to be tangible but mm -hmm. it's, it's you know it, it's yeah. symbolic really just um, like this if you think about this it's like we're not really sparking you know very innovative change just because we're talking about it in good company you know this is just our our little thing we're doing to, to try to contribute to it and though it you know it may not be it may not correlate to, you know, direct impactful change. It's, it's something that, you know, it's our, it's our little thing that we can, we can do to contribute um, to the bigger overall fight. Uh, so just one thing I wanted to hit on before that was best places you can donate. I think that's definitely up to personal preference, um, you know, in talking, you know, kind of privately with, um, the rest of our co-hosts, we in talking about, you know, where if we could donate, we did. Um, you know, it was just very personal, very personal research on organizations um, that you feel like your money is going to to a good place that could actually help and um, you know impact directly the lives of others. So for me, that was a, a local a local organization in New Orleans. I'm not going to disclose it. Uh, I really do encourage you though to you know maybe think about um, how where your money can go to to make direct impact um, because that's something that you can control. You know we may not be able to get laws um, completely changed within within a matter of of hours, but having money go to someone you know when they're in direct need of it can definitely definitely change a life. I know. Um, yeah. yeah, I just just a quick a quick like just sort of add on just i totally 
agree with the fact that the most important thing you can do to donate, if you choose to donate, if it's, you know, Emmanuel, you know, talk, you know, nicely about, you know, you have to keep in mind if it's in your means to do so, but if it is just the importance of researching and finding a cause you personally care about, if you guys know about in history, Booker T. Washington, you know, what he, the way he believed, you know, one of the ways he believed the, you know, the black community could ascend to, you know, true equality was through what he called little green ballots, AKA, you know, dollars, which is, you know, the fact is that where we put our money can be really influential. And so each dollar you have that you put towards something you care about, that's a ballot. That's a, that's almost like a voting ballot, you know? So money, you know, I can't emphasize enough how important it is when you, when you choose to donate what exactly what Logan says, do that research. Logan found something that's, you know, very personal to him. I, I did something similar. When I read Just Mercy, The Innocence Project really impacted me. That's what I went with. And I think it's going to be, I think for us to advocate for one or two places to donate wouldn't make as much sense to just do the research, find what you care about. All right. Um, well, I think it's about time to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Mitch. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. Thank you so much, Brian. I think this has been a really productive talk um, that we've had tonight. You know, I'm privileged to be a part of this. And like I was saying earlier, even though we, we may not be, you know, as a group of four kids that are getting ready to go into college, be, you know, imparting meaningful change just by sharing our opinions. I think it is definitely, um, you know, we're we're trying to do our part you know to um to advocate for for the the change that we need um yeah just a couple more things be sure to stick around for the next episode so you know this has gotten pretty lengthy um there's obviously yeah. a lot more to talk about there's a lot more to talk about um that we wish we could have addressed in in this um yeah, just we'll we'll be talking about kind of like some other influential entities. Like again, like I said earlier, going into the news, um, the media, some you know famous famous people like sports players, comedians, influential people, uh, and where they stand. Talking about the the movements and the counter movements, everything that um, you know has gained a lot of traction during this time. Um, yeah, like, for example, Black Lives Matter movement, the the All Lives Matter counter movement, um, the NFL's response to the death of George Floyd and and uh, things alike. And, uh, yeah, so to finish it off, uh, I'll leave you with a uh, favorite quote of mine from James Baldwin. Ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. I'll repeat that one more time. Ignorance allied with power is the most ferocious enemy justice can have. We hope to see you for our next episode. And as always, we hope you learn something. Take care. Take care. Thank you.